the uh, start of another week. It's Monday. We'll get you through it, though. No problem. Little Blink-182 to get us going. Well, it's actually Muchos Kilos, me, Shane, and Timmy, my band of big guys, but ripping off Blink-182. It's Monday. I hate it. But like I said, we'll get you through it. How's it going? How was your weekend? I did not get to the lake. Darn it. I wanted to get to the cottage, and it just didn't happen. Uh, We went and saw a movie instead. We went and saw Ocean's 8. Not bad. Pretty good. Number two movie on the weekend, by the way. Actually, I think I've got the box office here. Let me take a look at it. Well, Incredibles 2, it took in $180 million. Big, big money. And then Ocean's 8 in second uh, spot at almost $20 million. Tag, number three at $14.6 million. Solo, a Star Wars story, $9.1 million. And Deadpool 2, rounding out the top five, it took in $8.8 million on the weekend. We will talk about the big weekend for Incredibles 2 a little later on in the three o'clock hour, I think, with Jeff Braun, one of the couch potatoes. All right, so stay tuned for that. Also, coming up on the show today, the brothers Landreth. They have a big show with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra coming up on Wednesday night. And Joey and Dave will be in studio after the news at 2.30, and apparently they will be performing for us. So I'm excited about having Joey and Dave Landreth in with us after 2.30. I've set aside the whole half hour, so uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, really excited about having them in. And if you're looking for tickets, wso.ca. Get your tickets for that big show on Wednesday night. Really, I know how excited they are about it. And uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, um, certainly Wednesday uh, will be great. Also on the show, we'll talk child poverty here in about 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes now. Lots of uh, people on CJOB today talking about this new um, study or new report from uh, Campaign 2000 on child poverty. And uh, Churchill, the worst in the country when it comes to child poverty. And then uh, a couple of Winnipeg ridings in the top list as well, which is uh, concerning. I mean, it's one of those issues. We know it's it's there. We know it's bad. But uh, reports like this remind us, and then we've got to talk about it because, listen, we, we've got to deal with this stuff, child poverty. More on that coming up in less than 10 minutes. After the news at 1.30, Brian Smiley from MPI will join us. Uh, get the latest on the uh, hail numbers from last week. We got some numbers last week. We'll see if we can get some more. And I want to talk to him about Winnipeg police and this uh, stolen vehicles um, release of theirs on the weekend. Why are, and apparently a lot of the vehicles that were stolen, I think it was 56 in the month of May, a lot of them were stolen because the keys were left in the vehicle, the vehicle was left running, unattended. What's going on? Brian Smiley, MPI, after the news at 1.30. Also, between 1.30 and 2, Greg Mackling on millennial tipping. Apparently, millennials, only about 3% of, or no, sorry, um, 10, only about 10% of, I got to get my facts straight on this. I'm going to get my facts straight, and then we'll talk about it, because it's kind of confusing. Basically, the bottom line is millennials, millennials aren't tipping. And so we'll talk about that. And I want to get Greg on this because I was listening to McAleen and McGarry this morning on this. And uh, Greg has been a server. Greg has owned a restaurant and bar. Um, and he's uh, really good on stuff like this. And we'll ask you a few questions and get you involved as well. We'll talk to Greg at about uh, 20 to 2, okay, on millennial tipping. 
We, this week, are giving away Melissa Etheridge tickets. July 8th, Club Regent Event Center. Tough trivia coming up right after the news at 2. Get the question right, and I'll give you tickets for Melissa Etheridge. At about 2.15, we're going to talk to a seismologist at the University of Manitoba. Apparently, when Mexico won that World Cup game on the weekend, there was a bit of an earthquake. Fans got so excited, there was actually uh, seismic activity, and it had to come from that. And so we'll talk to Andrew Fredrickson about that University of Manitoba seismologist. I mentioned the brothers Landreth in studio between 2.30 and 3, and I also told you that Jeff Braun, one of the couch potatoes, will join us after the news at 3 uh, to talk about the weekend box office. Let's take a break here. One o nine. When we come back, we'll get into child poverty. Phone lines wide open. 204-780-6868. You can email me, hal at cjob.com. All right, and just before we get to child poverty, here's the number on, on millennials and tipping. 10% of millennials say they leave nothing. Nothing. 10%. Now, 90% still tip, but 10%. Leave nothing. That compares to 3% of older people who say they leave nothing. So millennials, you know, three, four times more likely uh, to leave nothing. And we'll talk about that with Greg Mackling a little later on. All right. We'll get into that uh, around 20 to 2. So not just over half an hour, less than half an hour from right now. All right. Child poverty. Uh, Let's begin, first of all, with uh, a report that says child poverty is still a big problem across the country, especially up in Churchill. A report released today by Campaign 2000, a movement to end poverty in Canada, took a look at the child poverty rate in each of the 338 federal ridings in the country. The Churchill riding has a rate of 64.2%, while the riding of Winnipeg Centre comes in at third in all of Canada with a 41.1% rate. Canada's average child poverty rate is 17.4%. The report found nearly half of the federal ridings have poverty rates at or above the average. Other Manitoba ridings with rates well above the national average include Dauphin Swan River Nipua at 33.8% and Winnipeg North at 32.3%. The federal government has been meeting with and hearing stories from Canadians over the last year, putting together a national poverty reduction strategy, which is expected to be released at some point later this year. Austin Suragusa, Global News. All right, thank you, Austin. And uh, Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier this morning had on Sid Frankel, who is with Campaign 2000, the people responsible for that report Austin right there was talking about when it comes to child poverty. We divided all of the ridings in Canada into fifths. Uh, So if we look at the top fifth with the highest child poverty rates, Six of the 14 ridings in uh, Manitoba, around 43%, fit into that top fifth, uh, and that is the worst in the country. Winnipeg Centre is the third highest, uh, so uh, it's astonishing, but over 41% of children living in Winnipeg Centre are poor. All right, pretty shocking numbers. Uh, We're going to get, by the way, to the Liberal MP for Winnipeg Centre, Robert Falcon Ouellette, in just a bit. Kathy Kennedy had him on this morning as well here on CGOB. But here is Frankel again uh, talking about these ridings where child poverty is a real serious problem. Coming in at number one is Churchill. And 
this uh, we found surprising. So almost two-thirds, uh, to be exact, 64.2% of children in that Churchill riding are poor. So being poor is the average uh, situation in Churchill. So we have used uh, Statistics Canada's low-income measure after tax. And uh, the low-income measure is very simple. Uh, it means that uh, the family adjusted for its size is living uh, at less than half the median income in the country. Uh, first of all, uh, we're uh, calling on the federal government to pay attention to the magnitude of this problem. We're calling on uh, all MPs and certainly on Manitoba MPs to realize that this is uh, their business and this is important for them. And we're hoping that uh, the provincial government uh, will be putting pressure on the federal government for a strong strategy. And the province has also promised a strategy. Um, and uh, we're hoping they're taking notice of these numbers as they develop their strategy. Once again, that is Sid Frankel from Campaign 2000. And speaking of Winnipeg Centre, where I think Frankel said over 40% of children in Winnipeg Centre uh, live in poverty, that writing is re- represented by Liberal Robert Falcon Ouellette. Here's what he had to say about child poverty in his writing this morning to Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier. The issue of poverty in Winnipeg centres, uh, probably everyone in, in Winnipeg knows about it. Uh, you drive around and you, you stop at a stop sign or a, a traffic light and you see someone who is, is begging or, and asking for change. And it seems to be a problem that's been, uh, you know, quite... Uh, all it seems to be spread around uh, a lot of the inner city of the of our downtown core, and it you know it creates a sense that uh, you know it was a, it was an issue in the last campaign, the municipal campaign as well. Um, it's something that we're preoccupied with at, at the federal level. Well, I can I, tell you that uh, you know we put in place the Canada Child Benefit, which was it's intended to actually try and lift people kids out of poverty, try and give income to to parents, and actually try and do something about this. All right, do something about this, and Kathy Kennedy. Ask the next logical question of Robert Falcon Ouellette. What is the plan for child poverty? Well, I, I don't, uh, you know, if you have a, if you, I met a gentleman yesterday um, in the inner city who is on social assistance, uh, who has uh, two young kids. Uh, and so he's in social housing as well. Uh, with all that income and the housing, he also receives almost uh, just over $900 a month tax-free uh, that he's allowed to put towards, you know, helping his children. And I think that's gone a long way to helping him uh, be a, you know, a better parent, reduce the stress levels, ensure the kids have some, you know, adequate food and adequate housing. Uh, we've increased the amount for the social housing. Uh, we put in place a $40 billion um, uh, program for the first national housing strategy. We actually ensured that the Canada's workers' benefit uh, goes to all Canadians. You don't have to specifically know about this benefit, but you can. All Canadian workers can apply, and if you're in the lower income era uh, strat uh, stratus, uh, you can apply, and, or you don't have to apply. It's automatically when you fill out your tax forms, and that's more 700 million more dollars going out the out the door into the pockets of Canadians. Uh, who need it the most. Um, and often a lot of the parents who have small children, young children, uh, you know, work uh, sometimes in, in, you know, more precarious types of employment. 
you know, we're trying to get the, the money into their pockets, trying to make sure that they have the, you know, a little less stress, that their kids can be successful in the long term. Um, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that the Canada Child Benefit hasn't had an impact. Um, uh, if you talk to people at Winnipeg Harvest, they have seen a decrease in the number of children using Winnipeg Harvest. Uh, so, uh, you know, for me, it kind of speaks well, you know, if, you know, there are many children who are very poor and who are come from very poor households uh, with, you know, very poor parents. But at the same time, if there has been a decrease in the number of kids using Winnipeg Harvest, uh, you know, I suspect that somewhere along the lines, the Canada Child Benefit may have played a role because it's only been in place for about a year, uh, a year and a half now. Robert Falk and Willett, was that good enough? Not much of an answer there. If you ask me, I kept listening, hoping I would hear an answer, but I didn't really hear. I heard some excuses in there. I heard that maybe things are better than they were, but I didn't really hear an answer to Kathy's question. Robert Falk and Willett, the Liberal MP representing Winnipeg Centre, one of the worst ridings in the country when it comes to child poverty. Quick text message from Tim and then uh, Luba's phone call. Luba's standing by 204-780-6868. Tim says, by texting that same number, by the way, you can text or call, but Tim says by text, children can't go out and get a job to make money. So the responsibility lies in the parents to get their own life in order and find work to provide for their children. Having children is not a free ride from the government. If you can't be responsible, don't have kids. Thank you, Tim, for weighing in. And Luba's on the phone. Luba, what did you want to say? Well, uh, sort of following up, actually, on the text message you just wrote, um, is that I don't understand the term. What do you mean child poverty? Ch- children are poor because their parents are poor. Right. So where did the term, yeah, where did the term child poverty come in to begin with? Is that just a, you know, we're going to term it child poverty to get people... Uh, to get people's heartstrings being pulled a little bit. Um, you know, uh, uh, Harvest um, says that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't see as many kids. How many four-year-olds do they have coming in with, with shopping bags in through, you know, into, into Harvest uh, going to get, um, get food? Um, it just, it's the whole idea of this child poverty uh, kind of, you know, as I say, tugging it as heartstrings to try and people make people feel bad about it. Let's just get people educated. Let's get people working, and then maybe we won't have poverty. Uh, the other issue that I have, and this one is probably going to make some people, you know, kind of, oh, did she actually say that on radio? Is that um, if you are poor, what, how, why are you continually having more and more kids? Yeah. Well, that was kind of the point, uh, the kind of the point Tim was was making as well. But listen, these kids are here. Um, I get what you're saying about the term child poverty. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, as an adult, if you live in poverty, there are things you can do as an adult, an adult to try and turn that around. Kids don't have a whole lot of choice. And so that's why uh, I think the term and, you know, to some degree, you're right. It does tug at the heartstrings a bit because nobody wants to see a helpless child, somebody who can't fend for themselves, living in poverty. Well, I, I agree with you, and I, you know, I understand that term. You know, you you made it a little clearer there when you said, you know, a kid can't go out and get a job. Yeah. Uh, but then, then I'm going to back to to the second part of what I had said. If parents are poor and they've already got a child, why are they having the second and the third and the fourth? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I guarantee you that as we talk about this, a lot of people are saying exactly what you're saying, Luba. And uh, I, I don't know. I Listen, uh, I don't think there's anything we can do about that. All we can do is is try and help these kids that are living in poverty. And I think that's important. I, I think it's, uh, you know, doesn't that shock you as, as a Canadian when you hear that 40% of the kids in Winnipeg Centre are living in poverty? Like, that's a shocking number to me. It's 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 ridiculous. We we live in in a country that well, hang on. I, I've been I've got other things going through my head, and I'm and I'm watching you know four hundred thousand um, dollars, you know, flying away from federal funds going to to teach uh, students, you know, girls in other countries, whereas four hundred thousand dollars could educate some of the people that we need to educate here in Canada. Yeah. So it's like. Uh, you know, and and we know that that's you know that's federal money that that somebody over you know that the prime minister was so pleased. Yeah, we're sending over four hundred thousand dollars off to some foreign country, uh, but we've got you know we've got a thousand you know no fifteen hundred people in Winnipeg who are homeless. We've got children here who um, you know whose parents can't afford to buy them food because they can't find work or they don't have enough education to be able to find work. And we just keep throwing money away at, at other things. So, yeah. um, Luba, I've, yeah, I've got to—I have to end it there. I'm right out of time. I'm up against okay. the news, but I appreciate your call. Thank you. All right, there's Luba. What do you think? Two zero four seven eighty sixty eight sixty eight. You can text or call that number. My inbox is always open. Hal at cjob.com. The news is coming up next, and then after the news. Ryan Smiley from MPI. We're going to talk about all these stolen vehicles, hail claims from last week, and we'll talk to Greg Mackling about millennials not tipping. All that and more on the way, Hal, on CJOB. Thank you very much, TFJ133. Joining us on the phone now from Manitoba Public Insurance, Brian Smiley. Good afternoon, Brian. Good afternoon. A couple things. Uh, we had those uh, big hailstorms or one hailstorm that was sort of hitting a bunch of areas last week. Any more numbers for us from AutoPack on damage as far as those hailstones are concerned? It's not good news, Hal. We're looking uh, right now, we're over 2,000 hail claims, and we're looking at doubling that as the days go on. Uh, the size of the stones was considerable, baseball size in some situations, causing, as you might understand, some significant damage to vehicles. So we're looking at a number of total losses out there. We have opened, or we're going to be soon opening, two emergency hail centers to help uh, move our customers through quicker in terms of the estimating of the vehicles. We'll have one in Winkler and one in Ninette. So 2,000, and as you said, that number is going to grow because people have some time to get their claims in. If it does double and and we're looking at 4,000 claims, how does that compare to some other big hailstorms in the province over the years? Well, one of the worst ones was in Winnipeg uh, back, I believe, in 96. I could be wrong on that. That was about 27,000 hail claims on that one and about $53 million in damage. Uh, a couple of years ago in Dauphin, we had a hailstorm that was resulted in about 15,000 hail, st- hail claims, again, about $50 million. So fortunately, this one is not of that size or cost. But it's certainly a nasty one. Again, uh, it'll, it'll probably uh, go over 4000 And certainly we haven't looked at the vehicles yet, but we expect it to run in several million dollars of, uh, of costs. Well, and uh, we just got word of a, about a 2% increase in our auto pack rates. And I guess uh, this kind of goes to your point for that increase, right? The money's needed when stuff like this happens. 
You're absolutely right, Hal. And uh, of our 2.2 increase, we're looking to uh, for a 2.1 uh, to maintain our rate stabilization reserve, basically a, a buffer to protect our customers from rate shock in the, in the situation of uh, catastrophic storms and uh, incidents such as that. And again, we're looking at this hailstorm here. This could cost words upwards of 10, 15 million dollars. So it will certainly uh, put a hit into our uh, into our reserves. Wow, significant. Absolutely. And again, it is a fact of life. It is Mother Nature. We were very lucky last year in the fact that it was one of our lowest hail years in a number of years. There was roughly about 3,000 hail claims compared to 11 and 12,000 within the years prior to that. So again, uh, last year was very good, uh, but this year we're starting off on a, on a real negative note. And I know sometimes with these hailstorms, uh, uh, Brian, there's uh, f- sometimes people try and pull fast ones on MPI. There's there's sometimes some fraud and scams. Is that something you watch out for when you have this many vehicles that have been damaged? Well, you know, Hal, the good news is uh, you and all many of many, many of your listeners are honest folk and they don't try to do that fraud. But you're right. There are a few out there who may try to embellish the uh, hail damage on their vehicle. Uh, they may try a different uh, tactics, but uh, our our estimators are highly experienced. They know what a legitimate hailstone looks like in terms of damage to the paint. Uh, but fortunately, Hal, you and many, many, many of your listeners are honest folk. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but but I do know that that sometimes uh, is is part of a story like this. Hey, uh, Winnipeg police say there's been a 54 percent increase in stolen vehicles uh, uh, during the month of May and into June, and they say that in many cases, the vehicles were left running, the keys were stolen, the keys had been hidden. Um, this is, I, I thought we were done with this when I heard this story this morning, Brian. Well, unfortunately, Hal, there is uh, folks out there who do leave uh, keys in their vehicles. We're not quite sure why. According to our statistics, 89% of thefts involving passenger vehicles are the direct result of theft with keys. So that's nearly nine out of 10 thefts involving theft with keys. Now, I think we need to explain what theft with keys is. In about 40% of those, the keys are in the vehicle. So either in the ignition, they're in a console, they're under the floor mat, they're they're hidden or supposedly hidden. And then the rest, 60% involved, where keys are either reported stolen or missing. So the messages we have out here for your listeners are really, really simple. Keep your keys safe, meaning keep them in a safe and secure spot and out of sight. And again, if they are stolen from a purse or a jacket, uh, report it immediately to the police. And uh, again, those are the things that you can do to uh, try to prevent that type of theft. Brian, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hal. Brian Smiley, Manitoba Public Insurance. Yeah, I was really, when I heard that story this morning, listening to Mackling and McGarry, 54% increase in stolen vehicles in the month of May and into June. And in many cases, the vehicles were left. I'm thinking, who's letting their vehicle run in the summer like this? I mean, I get it when it's minus 40. I've done it. And I don't do it anymore because I've got, uh, you know, a, a starter in my truck now. But in the past, I certainly did it, like a lot of people, where you go, I'll just, you know, I'm going to sneak in the house and stay warm and let the truck run for a few minutes. But it's summertime. Why? Why? I don't. I just don't get that. I was really surprised. A 54% increase in stolen vehicles, according to Winnipeg police. Maybe you know the answer. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com.
We'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about millennials and their tipping. A new uh, study says that only 10% of millennials actually, uh, sorry, 10% of millennials leave nothing. They don't tip at all compared to about 3% of older people. So why are millennials, I thought, I kind of thought it might be the other way around. But we'll talk about it with Greg Mackling next on CJOB. All right, 143, a new survey shows millennials have a different view on how much they should tip servers. When it comes to tipping, one group may not use too much common sense when it comes to dollars and cents. An awful lot of millennials are pretty skimpy with their tips. Analyst Matt Schultz on a creditcards.com survey. 10% of millennials say they usually don't leave anything as a tip for a server when they dine out at a restaurant compared to just about 3% of older folks. Some millennials say they can't afford to pay the bill and leave a tip. Others say the practice is outdated and on the way out. Daria Albinger, ABC News. All right, probably the best guy in the building to talk about tipping, Greg Mackling from Mackling and McGarry. Pretty good show if you haven't checked it out. 6 to 10 a.m. here on CJOB. Uh, Because you've been a server, you've owned a restaurant. Yeah. Um, you're a guy out and about town all the time. <laughs> please, please. Uh, were you surprised 10% of millennials say they don't even bother tipping? I'm very surprised because the service industry is such a big part of our economy yeah. now, right? And so let me tell you, anybody who's ever been a server will tell you it's a profession. Mm-hmm. There are definite skills required yep. with zero respect or with zero disrespect to anybody who works for minimum wage, mm. uh, serving tables at a busy restaurant is not a minimum wage job. And it's custom in our culture to tip serving staff in a restaurant. I know all the litany, the long list of people who deserve tips that maybe don't get tips. Mm. But if we can focus on the fact that it is part of our culture, part of our custom to tip when you go to fill-in-the-blank steak restaurant. That's just the way it is. Those individuals are not there for the 10 bucks an hour. They're there to make the tips. And those people are, even if they're students, are for the most part uh, doing a job that is at a whole other level. Yeah. And I don't mind tipping. I mean, I heard you guys sort of debating this morning 15 or 20%. What's the amount? I thought it was 15. What Now it's right. 20 um, I have no problem giving 20 and even more than that for a great server. But if I'm not happy with the service, I have no problem going right down to zero, depending on the experience. And what do you do after that? Here's my, and I heard you talking about, you know, let the manager know, right? right. I've had bad experiences letting the manager know. They think I'm looking for a freebie. I'm not. I'm just saying, Hey, you should be aware. This was my experience at your place. I may not come back again because of it. And I think managers sometimes now they think you're just looking for a freebie. Ah, he's looking for a deal on the meal, and that's the and that bothers me even more than the original uh, negative experience I had with the server. So now you've got a bad server and a horrible, and a horrible manager, and a horrible manager. Yeah, because any manager worth his salt wants to know when things are not up to par. I agree. Wants to do something about it. Will let you know that he or she wants to do something about it and mm. will do something about it. Right. I can remember the very first time I ever complained. It wasn't at a restaurant. It was actually at Future Shop. I, I can talk about them because they're not around anymore. And I found my girlfriend the exact VCR that I wanted to buy her. This will tell you how long ago it was. It was back in the 90s. Yeah. 
they didn't have it in stock. Mm. So, of course, the sales guy wants to change, you know, well, this one has that yeah. and, you know, this one's for it. No, no, no. Hold on. I know the features I want. Yeah. What effort would it have taken for you to put sold out across that sign? Mm -hmm. I know you're doing that purposefully. So yeah. I was on my way out the door, upset, and I thought, no, you know what? I'm going to express how upset I was about it. Went back to the manager and it, I was very... Very specific. I'm not telling you this for any other reason, but I'm in the service industry and I would want to know. Yeah. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make this right. He said, what was the one that had all the features? He said, I'll give it to you for the same price. I said, that's not why I complained. He said, I know that's why mm. you didn't complain or that. I know that's yeah. not the reason that you right. complained and he made it right. And that was just an example. My first example, I was maybe 19. I said, mm -hmm. you know what? There's something to this expressing yourself in a respectful fashion and saying, Hey, I'm telling you this from my point of view, but I know you would want to know. Yeah. And here we are a couple of old guys talking about millennials <laughs> yes. and, and back to why they don't tip. Some people say, well, they don't have the money. But what are you doing has, going out then? Yeah, it has to be more than that. I'm I'm not sure why millennials. Well, not all. I mean, ten percent according to this, uh, which this is study. a small amount. Yeah, but because, three percent of older people say they don't. Right. So it's you know three, arguably three times as much as as an older person not prepared to tip at all. I mean, you're talking to a guy who earned uh, a lot of zero tips. Yeah. Right. Uh, there were some I deserved, some I didn't, mm -hmm. and. For the most part, what you'll get if you don't complain or let somebody know is that now you're leaving and you're the cheapskate. Yeah, right. As opposed to saying, do you realize you forgot to bring me mm -hmm. my salad and, yeah. you know, or whatever it was yeah. that set you off. So, you know, th there's a social contract here as it pertains to the tipping, but there's also a so social contract when I'm in business. If I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you yeah. should be letting me know so I can make it better. Well, and we've had this discussion many times too, uh, you know, what, what do you tip on now? You know, I mean, I, I'm, I went to the VIP theater the other night. And I had, my wife had a salad, I had popcorn, and I paid with my card, and first thing that pops up- Tip option. Tip. I gave her five bucks, you know, but part of me was kind of like, well, really? You just took my popcorn order, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what's- cool anymore or not there you bring up a very good point this tip option is showing up at the strangest times take, everywhere take out orders and that's not on purpose like yeah. because they can only set up their machines a certain way uh but i would be training my staff to say hey don't worry about please that. ignore that yeah, right uh, but you know what? It's difficult once you get that tip a couple times not to expect it, yep. but I never expected it. I honestly didn't. That's why I did the job mm. was because that's the way it ended up working out and that's why you're in the business, but you had to earn it every yeah. single table. That was, that was the deal, man. Well, and I heard you say this morning, uh, you know, maybe it should be different. Maybe our server should be making more money. But as you said that, I could hear every restaurant owner and manager screaming, going, no. Every customer should be screaming no, because it takes away the incentive. I'm sorry. I'm a sales guy who worked on commission once upon a time. Yeah. I have no problem having skin in the game. I like to earn the extra. Don't pay me 20 bucks an hour to serve tables. Mm -hmm. When I was serving tables, as soon as it died down, I went to a manager and I said, 
I'm ready to go anytime. I'll yeah. do my side duty. I'll clean up and I'll get out of here because I was there for yeah, the right. for the extra money. Right? And I'll bet you were good. Eh? I'll bet you made a lot of money on tips because you have that personality, right? I mean, it's it's uh, there are some people that are just a little too over that line, you know, where I kind of go, okay, relax, right? <laughs> but if you get it right, you, you can make right. some great money, and I have no problem paying that money to the right person doing that great job because you're a professional. That's right. what you do. For for a living. You provide hospitality. It's the hospitality industry. If you do it in a genuine fashion, if it comes from the right place, people can tell. And when you deliver what you're promising, you know, the whole idea of under promise over deliver, very applicable in the, in the service industry. And I applaud anyone who does it and does it well. And it's an outstanding way to make a living. But if we're going to suddenly decide that tipping is not what, where we want to go, there is the other side, and anybody who's been to Australia will tell you, the servers make, I know I was going to go work in Australia back in 1995, and you make a minimum of $13 an hour back then. Mm. I don't know what it is now, yeah. and depending on the day of the week, you make a different wage mm. without tipping. You don't want to go down that road. Okay, so help me with some questions here. 204-780-6868, feedback now, hal at cjob.com. Um, how much is the proper amount? 15, 20, or, you, and or you don't less. Have, and remember, you don't have to tip on tax because right. that, that server's not tipping out, as they say. They're based on their sales yeah. before tax. So I, I heard you guys say that this morning, and I thought, I've been tipping on <laughs> tax. I've been tipping on the whole amount, so and, i got to keep guess that in what? mind. On the little thing when they ask you if you want to do 15 or 20% and you go to the percentage. Is tax included on that? I don't know. You'd have to pay attention. Cause, yes. Because I didn't think about it till this morning. I'm going to check next time. <laughs> so question, how much is the right amount? Should servers, do you feel, well, help me with some questions here, Greg. Do you feel okay walking away, not giving a tip if you had terrible service? Yep. Um, millennials, you, if you're listening, why are you not tipping? And what do you do when you get bad service and decide if someone's earned a zero tip? Yeah. Do you what then do you do follow after it up that? with a conversation up? with the manager? Yeah. Which I think you're right. I think that's really important. Otherwise, you walk out of the place and Hal Anderson's cheap. Correct. Right? Because they Can't figure they did a great job. That's right. Even when they didn't. Some people are delusional about how well they do their job. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Two of us right here, right now. <laughs> yep. So those are the questions and any others you can think of. 204-780-6868, Hal at CGOB.com. Greg, thanks a lot. Anytime, Hal. And we are already getting your uh, reaction to this, 204-780-6868. Hal, do you tip the guy who serves you gas when it's minus 40 and the wind is blowing? Yes, sometimes I do. I'll give the guy a toonie and I'll say, hey, have a coffee on me. Uh, it's cold out today. Not all the time, but yeah, he's a good guy, and yeah, for sure. Uh, somebody else says, Hal, I got a $100 uh, tip in U.S. funds. Wow. Yeah, and there's some very generous people out there who appreciate good service, and they will tip generously. Bill says, tin cups at self-serve beer vendors. What the hell's with that, Hal? LOL. See, that's an example of why would you be tipping that person? All they did was take your money. I agree. Uh, I agree with you on that one, Bill. Dwayne says they should just pay these people a fair wage so that they don't have to rely on tips. Restaurant owners, the biggest ones to squawk when the minimum wage increases. Yes, Dwayne, you're right. But then how do you feel about your burger now going up from eight bucks to 15 bucks because the servers are making more money because they aren't being tipped anymore? Because that's what would happen. 
Um, somebody else here says, do you think you should tip a bartender who turns around, grabs a beer and opens it and passes it over to you? Yeah, I don't know. But it seems like in the food and beverage industry, tipping is just kind of a given. But some of these millennials, uh, some of these, uh, uh, I guess, 10% of millennials that say they give nothing at all, they're the ones that are saying this is an old system. Why are we even tipping people anymore? Why should people even get, uh, why should people even get tips? And then somebody else saying, by text here, 204-780-6868, why do people not tip washroom attendants? Well, if some guy in a nice restaurant hands me a, a hand towel, I usually do, but you bring up a good point. Should we be doing that? What if I don't need any what if I don't need any help in the bathroom? Then I I, I why am I tipping the guy? Anyhow, more text messages coming in. You can email. Nadine's on the line. Nadine, hang on. We're going to talk to you. Uh, So uh, keep it coming. Tipping. Millennials. Tipping in general, but millennials. I'd be curious to talk to a millennial or two about this, okay? we got a break here. The 2 o'clock news is coming right up. Hal Anderson on CJOB. All right, uh, Tristan, you're a man about town. Okay. You uh, go out a lot. Uh, You know, uh, do you you tip? Are you a good tipper? Uh, I have the mentality when it comes to tipping that if you go above and beyond your job, mm. absolutely you deserve it. But frankly, if you're doing your job, you don't get a tip from me. Zero. No. Just if you do your job well. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it depends on the circumstance, but generally speaking, if you're doing your job, then you don't get a tip from me. If you're doing it well, you're going above and beyond. Then absolutely. Okay. That's that's the way I see, see it. See, most I think most people, or certainly the way I see it is, uh, you get that 15% for doing your job well. Yeah, but and you know what, Hal, I've always had an issue with that kind of mm. mentality. I mean, it's 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 your money, so do whatever you want with it, frankly. No, I know. I'm just but curious it's, to it's, know your thinking. Yeah. I've I've always had an issue with that mentality because there are mm. tons of people who do their job well. Right, but in some professions, a tip is seen as I guess it's cultural, like Greg Mackling was sure. saying. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess it's seen as cultural, but mm. I, I don't necessarily adhere okay, to that. Okay, that's I, fair. And, yep. and I think, I mean, as an example, uh, and this is nothing against the hospitality industry, mm. but the way I see it is if you're a waiter or waitress and you're doing your job exceptionally, well, then why shouldn't those tips apply to, you know, how about mail carriers that have to go, have that have to deal with all sorts of hazards when they're out walking? Or what about people who collect your garbage, as yeah. an example? Well, I think some you people know? do tip different people. Like, for sure. example, your mailman, somebody else brought up, what about the guy who's pumping your gas in minus 40? Often I will give that guy a toonie because I, I pumped gas when I was 16. That was one of my sure. first jobs. So I get it. But, um... Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's funny. It, well, you've heard the conversation. Uh, that's uh, what TFJ has to say about it. Let's uh, just before we give away our uh, prizing here with tough trivia. Melissa Etheridge tickets up for grabs. By the way, uh, just before we do that, let me go to the phone. Nadine's been very patient. Let's talk to her, and I think we've got one more caller on this, and then we'll we'll do the prizing. Okay, two zero four seven eighty sixty eight sixty eight. Hello, CJOB. Good afternoon. How are you today? Good. How are you? What do you think of this tipping idea? Millennials, 10% of millennials not leaving anything at all. Well, I think they're just born cheap. They haven't learned learned to spread their wings yet or else they weren't taught the right way. I only believe in tipping if I get everything I ask for. So uh, so how do you do it? Like, say I'm really friendly, uh, but I forget to take the cheese off your salad. Uh, how much do you dock me as a server for that? 
5%. So what do you normally give, 15, 20? If it's exceptional service, we give the max. 15 or 20? Yep. Because yeah, that's, that's a debate too, right? I thought it was 15. Today I'm hearing maybe it's 20. I don't know. I, I, they're not worth 20% when the kitchen does all the work for you and all they have to do is serve it to you. All right. Well, they have to, in most places, they share those tips with the cooks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. So, and then would you say something? Would you just leave 10% instead of 15 and then say something or not say anything? I would just say, well, no, I didn't get what I asked for. I've asked you three times for coffee. I've asked you twice for hot water. Yeah. And then I'll complain about the bathrooms because a lot of places are dirty. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, Greg Mackling is absolutely right. If you're going to dock somebody uh, with their tip, tell them why, tell the manager why, so that you're not walking out and they think you're cheap. They know exactly why they're not getting the full 15 or, or 20%. That is true. Yeah. Okay, Nadine, thanks for the call. All right, thanks. Have a great day. Appreciate it. You too. And Leon, what do you think about tipping and millennials? Uh, we're not really tipping and millennials, but we stayed at, uh, a month ago, we stayed in uh, three or four different hotels uh, around the area, and every room had an envelope asking you to put some money in there for the chamber beans if they did a good job of uh, cleaning up the room. Really? And where was that at? In Montreal. In Montreal. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so I figured, you know what? This is not Mexico in here where they make swans out of towels and you leave them 20 pesos. <laughs> so did you leave any money in the envelope or not? Uh, no. No way. Eh? Hmm. I wonder what no, that's... I, I, it must, I, I, be a, must be a Montreal thing, maybe, because I've never seen that before. Well, this was Montreal and Quebec City. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the only it, the only yeah, problem is if you don't Leon, if you don't leave them any money, you come back and your luggage is gone. Uh, not really, <laughs> because we only we stayed at different hotels. But yeah. uh, and you, so I mean, if you don't go back, there, it's a plus. You know, who's to know who yeah. we are in the room? Right. Yeah. Okay, Leon. Thanks and for the call. Only, they only find that out after you leave. Right. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, the phones have loaded up here, so we may have to just uh, maybe bump the pricing here. Uh, tough trivia is coming up. Don't worry. We'll get to it. Uh, but I hate to uh, blow people off on the phone here when they've called in and want to talk about this. Randy, Jonathan, John, I'm going to try to get to all of you, and we'll see if we still have time for the contest here. Uh, Randy, go ahead. Tipping. Okay. Is that me up there? That's you, Randy. Go. Okay. I'll be real quick. I read something on Facebook. Amazingly, it was really good. A couple of weeks ago, and, and real quickly, the illustration was this, that uh, this this young girl was selling eggs outside of some establishment, and I don't even know what country it was, but it was a good illustration. And so this lady who was well-to-do came by, and the young girl wanted 20 cents an egg, so two forty a dozen. And this uh, lady said, listen, I'm taking two dozen. I'm paying you $4. And so she basically, you know, brought her down 80 cents on the two dozen. Well, then this young girl observes this lady meet somebody in this food establishment. And so she's watching this whole thing, open market, whatever. And so the bill is $45. And the lady says to the uh, person at the registry or whatever, here's 50, keep the change. And so the, the, the question was, sometimes we're tipping those who perhaps don't need it and because of image. Right. And I think there's something to do with that. You know, you take the Starbucks, the Timmy's, 
mm. and the Robbins illustration, something it's a status issue. And so, anyway, something to think about. But okay. I always I always kept they're worth it. They're working hard. So give it to them. Okay, okay Randy, thanks for the call. John, what did you want to say quickly, please? Yeah, no, I, I believe in tipping. They do make a lower wage. Uh, I have no problem tipping. The only thing I don't like is wherever you do the paying, it's so dimly lit that sometimes the tip is already added into it and you're giving them a double tip. <laughs> I, I wish they didn't do that. Yeah. So Here, I'll tip when I tip. It says tip percentage. I'll put it in, but they've already put it into the bill and then I go and tip on top. So it's yeah. Like, Hey, Sean, um, I, I get mad at that. Yeah. Hey, John, Sean just asked me a, a question by text here. I'm going to ask you the question, okay? So hey. Sean says, hey, Hal. So I'm saying, hey, John, question. Do you tip when you pick up food? No service required. The cost is for the food. And Sean says he usually does not. So you're picking up food to take home and eat. Do you tip that person? Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't know why I do. I go to the, the drive there to, to save the money. It's only a few bucks, but I'm going out anyways. But yeah, I, I tip anyway. So and I think we all do that sometimes. Sometimes, I, many I times, I mean, I've tipped, and I went after I give the tip, I go, "Why did I? Should I have done that there, or did I have to do that, or why did I well, do you that?" You have to because the, the machine already said tip percent in that. Yeah, like, why but did I, you have that at the machine at your till. And I don't think right, I don't, don't think they uh, they do that, but I don't think we should tip just because the machine says, "Hey, do you want to leave a tip?" I think we should go. Well, yeah. hang on, why am I? But but you're right. We all get caught in that. Thanks for the call, well, John. I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Okay, and Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, uh, just weighing in on the tipping discussion. Um, yeah. I heard someone say earlier that, you know, they make low wages, so, like, the tip is kind of, you know, compensation. But why should I be responsible for making up their pay when the establishment they work at wants to pay them low wages? You know what I mean? Well, it's just always kind of been that way, right? So that's the way way we got paid. But like I said, if we change it so we don't tip, then and then the, these places say, well, okay, now I, I can't pay you minimum wage. Now i got to pay you more. You know the cost of our food's going to go up, right? Well, true, but I don't think as a as a consumer who's just going out to eat, like I'd say, I just want to go out to eat. I'm already paying for the food. I wanted yeah. to go out to eat. That's all I wanted to pay for is the food. So I shouldn't have to worry about that extra expense of the tip. Yeah. I mean, I still tip when I go out to restaurants and stuff like that, uh, but I don't feel guilty not tipping if, let's say, I got bad service or I didn't get what I asked for. Here's a here's a question for you from uh, uh here's a question for you, Josh. Um, yeah. What about these delivery services? So the, these delivery services, they're getting paid a percentage of the food order, right? Sure. You, yeah. This guy comes to your door, doesn't work for the restaurant, works for one of these delivery services. Do you tip him? I tip him mostly because uh, I kind of tip jobs where it's something that I could do myself. So if I'm too lazy to get out of the house and go grab the food, if I can get someone to give it to me, sure, I'll give them a tip just because I could have done that myself. Okay, so that's that, an I interesting guess, way to look at it. Yep. it. Yeah, that's just how I see it. Okay, Josh, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, I'll tell you what, uh, just so we get the prize in here, right now, Melissa Etheridge tickets up for grabs, 204-780-6868. Call right now. Jeff Forche, producer of this show, is going to pick somebody to get those Melissa Etheridge tickets, all right? But I'm going to make you work hard for them tomorrow. Tough trivia coming up tomorrow. Melissa Etheridge tickets right now, 204-780-6868, July 8th, Club Club Regent Event Center. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, We're going to talk about this World Cup earthquake. If you haven't heard about this, details on the way with a University of Manitoba seismologist. It's Hal on CJOB. 219 at CJOB. Just before we get to our next guest here, I see the Washington Capitals are without a coach. 
Barry Trotz has resigned as coach of the Washington Capitals after leading them to the Stanley Cup. That's right. Uh, The 55-year-old Trotz went into the season without any certainty about his future when ownership and the general manager last summer opted not to give him a contract extension. In a statement, the team thanked Trotz for his efforts and the past four years, said it was grateful for his leadership and what he did for the franchise. The Capitals went to the playoffs in all four years under Trotz, including two President's Trophy winning seasons in 2015-16 and 2016-17. Interesting. So the Capitals are looking for a coach, and Trotz is on the move. Full sports coming up here on Hal Anderson Afternoons at 325. That story and all the sports a little later on. All right, uh, I don't know if you heard about this on the weekend uh, in another sport, Soccer, football, the World Cup continues. And uh, there was a World Cup earthquake on the weekend. Mexico, uh, they were so there were so many people in Mexico watching this game and they got so excited jumping up and down that this actually showed up uh, as seismic activity. And Andrew Fredrickson is a seismologist at the University of Manitoba and he joins us on the phone now. Andrew, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. No problem. So tell me about this. Does this happen, I mean, very often, or is this a first? It's, it's happened before. I mean, what, because a seismometer, the instruments that are using to pick this up, is essentially just a vibration sensor. Right. Anything that people do to cause sort of major vibrations sufficiently close to the instrument will be picked up. So in uh, 2011, there was uh, at least the first one of these that I remember making the news, um, they, because there were some instruments relatively close to the Seattle Seahawks stadium. So this, uh, there was what they called the beast quake, which was uh, <laughs> basically just everybody roaring and stomping in the stadium it was picked up by uh, nearby uh, nearby, I think, University of Washington sensors. Right. So you wouldn't have seen anything on your equipment here, but in Mexico, certainly they did. Yes, well, Mexico's quite well instrumented. There's lots of uh, seismometers around because, well, there's a significant danger of earthquakes there. Mm-hmm. So there's there's lots of instruments, and uh, so there's more likely to be instruments close to close to where this is happening. Yeah. And did this rank at all on the Richter scale, or, or it just showed up? Well, you can't really convert it to, because the Richter scale is designed for earthquakes, which mm-hmm. are essentially a single event coming from one place. Right. But this was sort of all spread out all over all over Mexico City. It wasn't because, I mean, the, the game wasn't there. People were, uh, people were watching the game and reacting in their homes and wherever they happened to be. Yeah, apparently tens of thousands of people have, had gathered in the main square in Mexico City uh, to watch and uh, I guess uh, the goal that they're uh, talking about, uh, it was when Mexico went up one nothing on Germany, and right at that, it was the 35th minute of that match, and they matched it up to this seismic activity, which is just crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've got, uh, if you know, nowadays it's so easy to time things. Mm. Like, you know, exactly when this was broadcast, and the seismograph has precise timing, so you can determine 
accurately when sort of the earthquake waves arrive. Yeah. So you can line them up one day and one next to the other, and um, interesting things can pop out. Very interesting. It's actually kind of timely that we have you on today because there was an earthquake in Japan. What can you tell us about that? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a very. Uh, it wasn't a very large earthquake, but it was very sort of unfortunately located. Like the magnitude estimates seem to be varying a bit on this one, but uh, like, but uh, the highest estimate I've seen is six point one, hmm. which is big but not huge. You might say it's, uh, and it's and earthquakes of that size are not that uncommon in Japan. But this is unfortunately both shallow and uh, close to a couple of major cities, um, particularly Osaka, which is where there was some damage. Right. And, uh, I mean, a six earthquake and then a seven earthquake, you'd think, well, it's not that much bigger, but a six earthquake compared to a seven is much different, right? I mean, it it goes up very quickly as far as uh, effect and potential damage. Yes, that's right. It's uh, the earthquake magnitude scale is what's called a logarithmic scale. So every step up is not a... It's not a linear increase; it's a multiplier. Mm-hmm. So if you go if you go up by one point on the scale, it's about a thirty-fold increase in energy. Wow! So a seven is about thirty times more energy than a six. Mm-hmm. And I know we've had some earthquakes in North America, but they're not terribly common, are they? It depends where in North America. Well, that's true. I shouldn't say that because California, obviously, but but I mean, I yeah. guess in our part of the world, right? Well, certainly, yeah, certainly in the middle of the continent, there's not very much. Mm. There's a little bit of there's occasional earthquake near the Saskatchewan Manitoba border around Esterhazy, hmm. um, and but that's thought to be have something to do with a combination of the uh, of the mining there and uh, possibly sort of cave collapse events. Interesting. Hmm. And so that's an area where we could potentially see uh, uh, some earth movement at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, we have in the past. There seems to be an earthquake about that we pick up maybe once or once a year or so there. Mm-hmm. But they're never very big, right? Like we can we can measure measure earthquakes that nobody's going to feel if we've got any equipment close enough to it. Yeah, gotcha. Hey, Andrew, thanks a lot. I just thought it was interesting that uh, I mean, it's not an earthquake as you pointed out, but to think that you know enough people were excited about a World Cup goal that it would show up on seismic equipment, I thought was pretty cool. So thanks for telling us about it. I'm glad to be helped. Andrew Fredrickson, University of Manitoba seismologist, joining us here today. We're going to break for the new... By the way, uh, Jeff, who was the winner of the Melissa Etheridge tickets? Let me find that name. Because we're going to give away another pair tomorrow and all this week. Who was the winner? Robert Price. Robert, congratulations. You're going to see Melissa Etheridge, July 8th, Club Region Event Center. Like I said, we'll have more tickets tomorrow and all this week, so make sure you tune in to win. And speaking of great music, the Brothers Landreth will join us after the news. Hal Anderson Afternoons on CJOB. 2.33, I have set aside the whole half hour for very special guests joining us in studio, the Brothers Landreth. Joey and Dave are here. Guys, great to meet you. Nice to see you. Likewise, Hal. Thanks so much for having us. Thank man. you for coming it. in. 
especially a big week for you guys. I wasn't so sure I'd have to, you'd have time for me today because we've uh, always got time. We'll for make time you, for you <laughs> any week. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And you brought your you brought your your guitar here, Joy. So I'm looking I forward did. to maybe a, a little performance from uh, the two of you. It's a bit of a, uh, uh, a safety blanket, actually. I take it everywhere I go. <laughs> um, he gets haircuts with it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> There's so much hair in here. Tell me um, about this guitar. It's radio, so nobody can see this. But what a cool guitar. Yeah, it's a neon pink. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this is uh, this is what's called a resonator guitar, um, which you know our listeners at home may recognize. Like a, it's kind of that kind of yeah. vibe. It's got this hubcap thing here, which is basically like a, um, it's like a, a, we would call like an, oh, I mean even mo- the most analog version of a speaker. Ah. So like the 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 strings sit on basically a metal. The, it looks exactly like a speaker, but it's made of metal, and it does yeah. the same thing a speaker does. Yeah. Makes it really loud and kind of sounds bluesy. Yeah. And, anyway, yeah, and a friend how, of mine. How did, uh, how did you get uh, a friend of yours built it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A guy named Matt Ike. His company. His company is called uh, Mule Resonators. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, how did you guy? What do you guys? Uh, folk rock. I that, guess, say eh? something that like is, that. That is the million-dollar question. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. know what you are? Well, uh, we're musicians. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a funny thing because I think everybody kind of listens to our music and they pull from it what they hear first. And, you know, sometimes it's country. Sometimes it's blues. Sometimes mm. it's folk. Sometimes it's rock. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you, I think if you ask iTunes, we're a rock band. Yeah. If you or ask Americana, a rock maybe. and roll radio station, uh, they would say they're certainly not a rock band. So it's just kind of... yeah. Uh, you know, Americana roots. We, we we mostly call it roots music. Yeah, yeah which, but which I, is kind of an umbrella. Yeah, a wide a wide term. But I think what's been really fun is that in our relatively short life short life as a band, we've kind of been able to slip under all of those different descriptions at some point in time. So sort we've of done chameleons in that sense. A eh? little bit, but like we're country enough to be able to go and do country festivals with country artists. Like you know, uh, we, we did Cavendish country music festival with and, and I think they had Keith Urban that year and it's right. all like it radio Rascal country. Flats actually it was mm, the first year right. that we did <laughs> we're and like then, what are we doing here <laughs> but we've, we've also done uh, we've done blues festivals yeah. and traditional blues festivals like we, we were, we've done a couple of those we've yeah. been on the blues cruise we've been on the uh the Folk and Roots Americana cruise. So those we, are fun, I hear. Oh, right? oh yeah. Like, so there are some big, fun. big names in music, and they want to do those bad because totally. they're so much fun. And they do them every year. Like the yeah. same artists go and do them every year because yeah. it's that much fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, uh, uh, like, um, oh, what's his name? Guitar Town. Uh, Steve, Steve Earl, Steve Earl yeah. and Lucinda Williams sitting at a bar having a drink together. Actually, <laughs> Steve probably wasn't drinking, but Lucinda Williams was yeah. definitely drinking. <laughs> You know, and just like walking Scandalous. by, like, going, holy crap. Yeah, right. You know? did, yeah. did I just see that? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. I, well, kept, it, I kept getting lost on the boat. Just funny anecdote, but when we were on the, the cruise with Steve Earle the first year, the Kayamo cruise, uh, I kept getting lost because the, the ship is massive. Yeah. And I, I kept getting lost. And like my weird little scruffy guardian angel, I would keep bumping into Steve Earl and be like, uh, how do I get to the dining room? And he'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, man, you're uh, you're up two floors and then starboard. I'm like, Thank you, Steve Earl. And it kept happening. Whenever I needed him, he would just appear yeah, out of right. the corner wearing like Crocs and, and yeah. <laughs> like the little like the travel gnome, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. that's kind of where to go. Yeah. So helpful and kind. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever you guys are, you're great. And uh, very soon you will be performing with the symphony. That's why you're here, because on Wednesday night, 
you guys are going to be performing with the WSO. They're going to be doing your music. Like, what is that going to Full symphony, what's that going to be like? Oh, man, it's going to be pretty amazing. It's a it's a dream come true for us, um, and there's no... You know, no exaggeration there at all. It's it is it is a dream come true. It and was an item on our bucket list for ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since when? One of the first things we did as a band was when when we decided like, you know, first of all, we like making music together and we like the music that we make together. Right. Once we kind of got that out of the way, then we made a list. Like, what are some things that we would love to do? And you know, on that list, there were some pretty lofty goals. And one of them, you know, one of the loftiest we thought was, wouldn't it be amazing to do a, a symphony show? Um, and, uh, you know, so to be able to knock that off the list is um, pretty tremendous. And, I mean, I'm very nervous. Are you? Oh, right? God, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, because I, I said, how are you guys? And before we went on, I said, so, how's it feel? And you said nervous, nervous. And you said excited. They said, ah, I'm fine. I think we've been like, waffling back and forth. We vacillate, but we take turns. So yeah. it's like one morning I'm like, man, I'm so nervous. <laughs> like, I'm so pumped. And then the next day I'd be like, I'm so pumped too. Yeah. And he's like, no, now I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm scared. Well, that's yeah. good though. You're we're there for each other. We're right? balancing each other yeah. out. Yeah, we're canceling yeah. it out. So actually, how do we feel? Meh. Meh. Neutral. Pretty neutral. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Who cares? I could take it or leave it. And they're Which what, day? Doing, Wednesday. Uh, they're going to do nine songs, right? <laughs> yes. And yep. it's some songs from your first album. Yeah, let it lie. Some, some of your uh, uh, songs off of my solo record, whiskey. Yep, Joey. Yep. And then also some songs that are coming up on the next album, on the brand right? new Bros record. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Actually, it's 10 songs. Don't tell, but we snuck in a song in the symphony. The first song's like 10 minutes long, and we just blended it right into the first song. So there's like, there's actually a, an, it, the, the show is, not to give away too much, but the show is going to start with an orchestral feature that our composer, Chris Byman, arranged that is like a montage, an, an overture yeah. to the entire night's worth of music. Um, and technically, we're only allowed to do nine songs with the symphony, mm. so he just wrote them as one really one big, Why long are you song? saying this on the radio publicly? <laughs> it's too late. They're going to shut it's you down. Yeah, they're going to go, what hey, 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 hey. So that, 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 that whole... Um, they're probably rehearsing right now anyways. Yeah. yeah I got to ask you something. I had this thought, though. I mean, I, I envision uh, artists like you guys, you know... Yeah, and then uh, you know, uh, jotting your lyrics and the music down on a on the back of a napkin in a bar, like that's you know, kind of. And then I think, man, how do you take that? And maybe I'm out to lunch on that, but I think, how do you take that and then go to the symphony? And and I mean, it has to be lots written, and written lots for... of napkins, <laughs> so, so much napkins, so yeah, many napkins. Well, that's uh, that's where we introduce uh, Chris Byman, who is yeah, a Manitoban-born composer, yeah, composer arranger, yep. Yeah. And uh, we hired him to arrange the songs for us. So uh-huh. um, that that process has actually has been so so intense and cool and really interesting for us. Yeah. Um, but it, it started with reaching out and checking schedules. And when we reached out to him, I, I thought we had all this time. It was like six months out of the show, and I was reaching out to him, and I was like, "Hey, man, you think you might want to do this thing?" And his response was like. Oh wow, geez, that's that's not a lot of time. And uh, but he managed to swing it. Yeah, we had no idea how ambitious it was. I mean, that's what I was trying to say with that. It's yeah. just that like yeah. it's yeah. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And mm-hmm. and because you know, there's like obviously there's the music that's already there that we've created, the melodies and the harmony or the or the chords, like the the chord structure. You know, he then takes that and creates more music because you know if if the symphony played. Identical, identical to what we played. Yeah. you know, it's kind of boring. What's so, the point? So yeah. he's actually creating a lot. Like, mm. there's a there is a lot of um, creative license. And we specifically said to him, like, don't be afraid to make changes and call us and go. 
okay, fellas, like uh, in this song now, the second chorus starts on this chord instead of that chord. We don't mind. Like we're mm-hmm. ready for it. We're willing to do it. And we, yeah. you know, we we don't want this to just be the Brothers Landreth and the Winnipeg Symphony play at each other. We yeah. want it to be the Brothers Landreth and the Winnipeg Symphony play together and, yeah. and create something together. So it's in that sense, it's a collaboration, mm. you know, through and through. Do you maybe see one of these uh, nine or ten songs, depending on how you're counting? Let's call it nine and a half. Nine and a half. When you, you see <laughs> one of the nine and a half songs maybe ending a version from Wednesday night ending up on one of your albums at some point? Well, that's possible. Yeah, it's yeah. well. There, it's interesting because when he arranged some of these songs, he came back and had made some very t- took some artistic license and re- actually sort of sort of changed the songs mm. on us. And uh, and in a lot of those cases, and they're very pretty subtle, but uh, in a lot of those cases, those changes, I'm like, that's that's a really cool section. Like, yeah. I really love what he's done there, and I mean that really works. So, I yeah. At the very least, it will influence how we approach some of this music. Sure. But, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I'm dreaming of doing an orchestral record a la Joni Mitchell. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd, eh? I think oh, I'd, be I'd love to have another 10 years of repertoire to pull from because I feel like it's such a grand, mm-hmm. grand thing to pull off. Mm-hmm. But, man, wouldn't that be... Yeah, yeah, so like when you're 30 and I'm I'm 29, <laughs> are we aging in reverse? Or... <laughs> um, you've got a single coming. Let's uh, plug the the yeah. single coming out here, Joy. Yeah, I got a new tune. Uh, it's my it's it my very first single ever. I, on my last record, I just kind of released into the world, but this this time we're being a little more specific about it. Mm-hmm. It's coming out on Friday, June 22nd. The song's called Forgiveness. And it's the leading track. I actually no, it's not the leading track. It's the first official single from the new record that I'm going to be releasing. In the fall, sometime. Very cool. I'm thinking November, December, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But yeah. um, and it's awesome. And I could say that because I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I mean, well, Marshall. I was going to ask you about that. Now, does how does that feel though uh, when Joey's doing a, a project on his own like that, uh, Dave? Do you get kind of jealous, or uh, like, no. uh, is there a weird feeling about it? I mean, obviously, you wish him nothing but the best. But I, I wonder about no, the dynamic between the two of you when, when, because you're used to doing stuff together. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's all love. Like, and, and it's, it's all pride. And I'm just so happy to see him doing his thing so wonderfully. And it's, and it's also a beautiful thing to take a step back and, and, and watch him create without me too, because it's very different. Like Mm -hmm. the thing that we do together has an identity and has a flavor. Mm -hmm. The thing that Joey does on his own, uh, without me chirping in his ear is entirely a different thing. And, And I think when people hear this record, they're they're really going to be blown away because it's got mm-hmm. a depth to it that uh, I'm just incapable of as a shallow human being. <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but 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 in all seriousness, no, I mean, that's not true. It's 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 always hard because uh, just because I, I you want to do everything all the time, yeah, and you don't want to miss out on any of the fun. But that is such a secondary, small, insignificant feeling compared to the just the overwhelming mm-hmm. pride and love. There, yeah. so it's yeah, it's 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 really easy to take a step back and just watch it and be blown yeah. away and inspired. Which I mean, it comes back to our project. Sure, too. I get to harness that excitement mm-hmm. too because all of this creativity just breeds more creativity. It's totally yeah. contagious. Yeah, 
Winnipeg's brothers Landreth are here. They're going to be performing with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra on Wednesday. You can still get tickets, WSO.ca. I think they start at 30 bucks, which is, like, super cheap. WSO. $29.95, I think, is uh, the official price. All right, yep. I stand corrected. WSO.ca if you want tickets. we got to take a break because I want to save enough time for these guys to perform. Make sure you come back. Cal and CJOB. All right, the brothers Landreth are here, Joey and Dave, and I've been told that if we can do it, we're going to get two performance, two yeah. songs. I am so excited about this, guys. Right this on. is going to be great. So, uh, again, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Wednesday night. You can still get tickets, WSO.ca, WSO.ca. Uh, their music will be performed. They're going to be there uh, doing it with the symphony. Looking forward to it. What are you going to play for us? This is a song off my solo record called Gone Girl. Oh, I'm, excellent. I'm, I'm saying okay. this quickly so is that Is this the be... single? Is this the uh, this first single? This okay. is not the single. If I... I'm dumb. I, we should have no, sh- no, played fine. the first single. Do you want to uh, stay on that microphone Whatever over you prefer, there? Yeah, yeah, you can. I think right. we can do it that way. Yeah. Quick shout out to our high school buddy, Mr. Cody, Cody Clay. Clay. Yeah, he just texted in wishing you guys all the best. Don't forget to call in and keep Howe company, folks. <laughs> he wants to hear from you. That's right. All right, here we go. Take 
Hey, Joey and Dave Blander. I got to ask you a question. I yes. always, I love watching uh, guys like you perform live. Uh, you had that line about uh, don't check your mirror till you're out of town. What's the line? Don't check your mirrors until the next town. Till the next town. Yeah. And then when you first said that, you looked over at uh, your brother and you kind of smiled. Was yeah. there, is there a reason for that? or He just sang the wrong part. Oh, <laughs> Here I thought it was going to be. Oh, remember when we wrote that lyric, nah, man? Nah. And, no. He, he sang the wrong part, and then he fixed it in a very, in a funny way. And, and it was just like well, a I am nice sorry. One. I am so sorry yeah. I pointed that out. That's all right. That's all right. I just saw that, and I thought, hey, like, we're just maybe. people. It, yeah, sure. I just thought, well, maybe it was like a special lyric. You remember the time when you wrote that? or I That don't happens. Know. That yeah. happens for yeah. sure. That does happen. But mo- I, mostly it's like, yeah, nice one. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> nice cover. You screwed up on the radio. We Listen, we literally have two minutes left, so I'll tell you what. Do you want to play us to a break? Let's play it to, to a break. Yeah. One can... more time. Brothers Land with Joey and Dave. Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Congratulations. Thank Best of so luck much. on Wednesday Thanks, night. Al. Still get your tickets at WSO.ca. Here, what are you singing for us here? This is called Got to Be You, which we will also be playing on Wednesday night. All right. Yeah. To the news at 3 o'clock on CJOB, the Brothers Landreth. Woo! She got a hand in my pocket. She walks with a swing Well, my baby, she gives me that old school thing And now she don't mind If the whole world stares Well, now she's so fine, you know it just ain't fair She's so fine and it just ain't fair Tell me what can I do She's the only one I'm helpless, it's true She calls me in the nighttime, talking sweet and low. My heart skips a beat, oh brother, don't you know? And when she kisses and hugs me, amazed we wanna sing. She got a shiny kind of love like a diamond ring. Shiny kind of love like a diamond ring. Tell me what can I do? She's the only one. Thank you so much for having us. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need Elastigirl. Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. A little bit of the number one movie on the weekend, Incredibles 2, Jeff Braun, one of the couch potatoes here. Man, this thing took in a lot of money. Holy smokes, that, that, that's, that's, that's all the money. They're like number two was Ocean's Eight with less than twenty million. Yeah. So this, which we saw. Yeah. So yeah. this beat Incredibles beat it by a hundred and sixty million dollars. Wow. So a hundred and eighty million. That is what the biggest ever for a uh, animated. For movie? animated, yeah. Wow. And second biggest ever in June and eighth biggest ever all time. Period. Gee. Well, people waited what 14, 15 yeah. years for it, right? So. And, and and every time you know, like three times a year, at least I'll. Scrolling through the internet, you see, oh, all the Disney Pixar movies ranked. Yeah. And The Incredibles is almost always number one. I'm That's surprised it took them so favorite. long, eh? Yeah. Kinda I know weird. animated stuff takes a while, but 
Yeah. It's, Not it's, 14, no, no. 15 they years. Did three Cars movies in between and three story, yeah. Toy Stories, right? I knew something pretty special was happening <laughs> at the box office. We went to the VIP theater on Saturday night to yep. see the number two movie. Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8, which was... Good. I enjoyed it. Wasn't good, great. Good, not great. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a bad time or anything like that. But yeah, it wasn't as special as maybe I might have hoped. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of uh, feel what you're saying there because um, I like heist movies a lot, and I kind of expected. Now, my love, uh, my wife loved the fashions, right? Because it, <laughs> okay. uh, all the, yep. the heist happened around the Met Gala. Right, right, right. So she loved that part of it. She really liked it. I thought it was it was okay, but I knew something special was happening when we walked in the theater and it's lined up out through the doors. And I went, "What's going on?" She goes, "Incredibles too. Cool. Everybody's so lined up. Wow. At the VIP. Well, I'm sure it wasn't the VIP. Yeah, yeah. In the on VIP. The other five on screens the, it was right, on. exactly. Yeah. And uh, people were lined up, and uh, yeah. So I knew it was going to be big. Everybody was saying on. Thursday and Friday, it'd be 150 million, but beat it. 180 million. That's huge. That's pretty good. Yeah. I don't, I wonder, yeah, it makes, you wonder what just every now and then just something just pops like that, that mm-hmm. and no one can really explain why it would be yeah. all, all that extra money. Was it like Father's Day thing or something? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And I didn't hear a whole lot about it no. until it was kind of, yeah. it's in theaters this weekend, and then uh, we were talking about it. Yeah. Kind of unusual. Review proof. Yeah. Unlike that Gaudi movie. Uh-huh. Did you hear me talking to the boys about that before? I did not, <laughs> but I heard on the weekend that it was 0% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. the I, John Travolta Gotti movie. I, I just uh, cut and pasted a couple of the highlight uh, review. Oh, good. Review Let, headlines. Let's hear. let's hear. I'd rather wake up next to a severed horse head than ever watch Gaudi again. <laughs> Uh, someone else wrote, starring in this mobster biopic that deserves to get whacked is an offer Travolta should have refused. <laughs> and he may have been a murderer, but even Gotti deserved better than this. There you go. So, so I guess we don't go avoid, and see. It's not, I don't think it's playing here anywhere. Yeah. It was supposed to go straight to video. Right. And then somehow somebody, it ended up in theaters, eh? Yeah. Travolta, I don't know if the, the Church of Scientology stepped in or something. Yeah. I, I, I don't no know. Well, somehow one of the, he got in theaters and nobody likes it. One of the political guys I like to watch on TV is Smirconish, and he was interviewing on the weekend John Travolta and Gotti Jr., And so I thought, well, gee, maybe they're, you know, maybe this movie's okay. But uh, based on that, I I guess I won't see it. So we know that The Incredibles 2 is number one. Then way back in number two, Ocean's 8. Round out the top five for me, Jeff. Uh, Tag, that was a new one. That was 14.6 million. That That kind of looks good. Yeah, I think I'll see that one. Looks fun. Might not have to go to a theater to watch that one. No. Uh, Number four, Han Solo, A Star Wars Story, 9 million. Hanging in there. Number five, Deadpool 2, just a little bit behind it, 8.8 million. So yeah. Still doing well yeah all right thank you jeff you bet jeff braun one of the couch potatoes you can check him out here on cjob saturdays at noon sunday evenings at 6 p.m and of course they have the podcast at cjob.com google play and itunes jeff braun and brett mcgarry the couch potatoes i'll tell you what uh a movie that is now uh, rentable at home uh is called love simon and i watched that this week that is a very good movie Kind of reminded me of, uh, um, you know, those movies in the 80s that had the same feel like The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Kind of like that. Very fun, cute uh, movie with a message. Love, Simon, if you're looking for a a good renter. All right, now, time for our Kardashian update. Uh, I'm going to have a story about all three of the Kardashian sisters. I'm not including the Jenners. They're kind of off. They're not. These are the Kardashians, right? So, first of all, Maxim Magazine. I don't even know if they do a magazine anymore. 
Uh, but Maxim Magazine, it used to be a Mac, Mac, magazine, now I think maybe it's just a website. But anyhow, Maxim comes out with the Hot 100 Beautiful Women Every Year. And uh, one of the, all the Kardashians, even the Jenners, were on the list, except for Courtney Kardashian. Not on the list. She is terribly upset about that. Then we find out that, and it's our number one story at CGOB.com right now, Khloe Kardashian uh, really liked these cookies from Winnipeg, and so she ordered some. Um, the company is called Scientific Sweets, and uh, their names are Jen and Mary Lou, and they were on Mackling and McGarry this morning talking about Khloe Kardashian ordering their Winnipeg cookies. Oh, well, we last... I think last week yeah, Monday. on Monday, Jen came into the office. We both work as medical technologists at the Health Sciences Center in chemistry. And she came into the office with like a smile on her face. I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? She's like, you'll never believe it. And it was an email from the ex- executive assistant to Khloe Kardashian asking for cookies for their welcome home um, of her and the baby to Los Angeles. And we didn't think it was real, so we did some research. We creeped her on Instagram, sent a few message, messages, and we found out that it was legit. And they asked for cookies for Friday, and we're like, okay, we're going to do them. So there you go. Chloe uh, Kardashian ordering Winnipeg cookies. And the other Kardashian, arguably the most important Kardashian, Kim, was on the Van Jones Show on CNN. I don't know if you saw it. But, of course, she was at the White House talking prison reform with Donald Trump. Donald Trump pardoned a woman that Kim wanted to see pardoned. And, of course, Van Jones had to go there. Would you ever, Kim Kardashian, run for office or maybe even one day run for president? Uh, Now, once you get the law degree, people are going to say, would you ever run for office? Oh, I don't. I don't think that's. Even on my mind. Trump's president. It could happen. I know. That's why Kanye loves him. It's the idea that anything can happen. So, could anything happen with... Uh... I guess, never say never, but that's not going to be like a Kim's run. Uh, that's, okay. that's not where I'm, yeah. what I'm going for. I just want to help, you know, starting one person at a time. And I think sometimes if more people would just put their personal feelings aside and talk about really important issues that have to be discussed, then so much more can get done. Kim Kardashian, never say never. But you really kind of wanted to say never, right? You just wanted to go, yeah, I'll never run. Yay! Uh, the world is safe. But um, Kim Kardashian saying never say never when it comes to running for public office one day. Let's take a break. 314, traffic and weather on the way. How on CJOB. All right, uh, you know, we're always talking about eating healthier, and you would think that if you go and buy a salad, that's good for you. But not always. Listen to this. Uh, There is a group in the States, and they have found that the salt content of salads, and salt's not good, sodium's not good. The salt content of salads bought at restaurants, sandwich shops, coffee shops, and fast food outlets has increased 13% to an average of 1.86 grams per serving since they were last tested in 2014, about four years ago. In fact, 36% of the 213 salads looked at contained two grams or more of salt. That's not good. Current health guidelines in the UK say that adults should not eat more than six grams of salt per day or around one teaspoon. When comparing the amount of salt in the salads to other menu items, 
Researchers found some had more salt than pizza or a cheeseburger. Sometimes these salads you buy have more salt, listen to that, more salt than pizza or a cheeseburger. And uh, a cardiovascular doctor at uh, Queen Mary University in London by the name of Grant McGregor said reducing salt is the most cost-effective measure to reduce the number of people dying or suffering from strokes or heart disease. We are now calling on Public Health England to take immediate action. So watch out for the salt content in salads. And one more story here uh, before we get to sports and uh, and news uh, here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. I don't know about you, but those snack foods, they're hard to stop eating them, right? Donut, for example, delicious. Well, Yale researchers have found that foods that contain fat and carbohydrates create a powerful reward in the brain. The investigators recruited 206 volunteers, gave them a small amount of money to bid on various foods in an auction-like way while having their brain scanned in real time. The team, it's incredible some of the stuff they can do now. The team found that the participants were more likely to pay for foods containing the fat-carbo combination. And moreover, the brain scan reflected stimulation in an area associated with reward. Ironically, foods containing the magic fat-carbo combo don't exist in nature except for breast milk. Hmm, who knew? Which contains... 3.5% fat and 7% carbohydrate. Snack food, by comparison, is typically about a quarter fat and half carbohydrates. It turns out that combining fat and carbs created a craving that went beyond 2 plus 2. The combination generated a unique response that was greater than the sum of the parts. So there you go. That is why you are addicted to these snack foods, because very often they contain fat and carbohydrates, and our brains want that. Our brains see that as a reward. I thought that was kind of interesting. Not that it's going to stop you from eating snack foods, but uh, something to keep in mind, just like the salts and salads. I thought that was worth mentioning as well.